0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Hey Carrie, we're going...
2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of BAM's Radio. We're so glad to have you. I hope you're having a good day and night. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com, joined as always by our uh, producer, Thomas Watts, from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And uh, we're going to be joined at some point tonight, we hope, by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 seven seven Zone in Huntsville. Drew is uh, working at the... H-S-A-A Regional Basketball Girls and Boys Tournament up at Wallace of Hansville uh, in Coleman County, Alabama, and they're playing games. Each team there can play up to two games and if you win two, you get to come to the BJCC and to play for a state championship in about a week and a half. So That's cool. That's where Drew is. He's seen a lot of action today. But we cannot start on any other topic tonight than Alabama 76 and LSU 69.
1: It was a good thing, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, it wasn't enough, Thomas, for Alabama to go to Florida and win for the first time in 21 years. No, 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 they weren't done yet. They made another bullet point on their NCAA tournament resume. And let me say this, this was a team that I was just hoping would make the NIT this year. Now they are squarely in the conversation, not even really currently on the bubble. They're in by all those who pick people that are in, and they control their own fate, and that's because they have uh, won five in a row in the SEC. they won six out of seven. They have rebounded from their tough start, and they are now 16-9, and 7-6 and six in the SEC. But they went on the road tonight and upset LSU. 76-69, to 69. Uh, they were trailing up the half, but they clearly outplayed LSU down the stretch. And LSU, as was the case with Alabama when Alabama was struggling the first month of the SEC season, LSU couldn't hit their free throws, and it, it, it cost them. It cost them dearly. They were 20 for 35. Alabama, which normally struggles at the foul line, Thomas, was 15 for 18 and continued to make big play after big play down the stretch and play great defense on LSU.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'll be honest, Kerry. I only caught the second half because, unfortunately, I had I, the reason, and that's why they had to move the show. Um, I had class, but from what I saw, LSU, like you said, can't hit a free throw to save their lives. And the Alabama guards, Justin Coleman and Retno Basahan, had a hell of a game. And so help me if Retno Basahan is not on some. Uh, Some postseason all-something teams, that is, let's use the phrase, miscarriage of justice and move on, you know?
2: Well, Kurt McNair, who is a frequent guest on this show and the editor at BamaMag.com, the publisher, he has gone on record as saying that Avery Johnson, at this point, should be the SEC coach of the year and that, uh, barring something unforeseen, Retno Novoselhan should be the player of the year. Now, that second one may not be quite as likely as that first one, but there's an opportunity for both those things to happen, and uh, Retin at the very least should be all SEC, very very least.
1: Absolutely. And again, you know, you you feel kind of if you want to, if the glass is half empty, we can certainly argue that golly, what could have happened if Anthony, if there had not been another year of Anthony Grant, I think that's something a sentiment we've shared on this program before but Avery Johnson's overachieved and you you have to feel pretty good as an Alabama person because he doesn't even have his players yet Uh, you know I I don't know what else to say but that because you've seen recruiting have have an uptick and you see the product on the floor continue to get better it kind of feels like in some ways when Nick Saban first came and I know I'm comparing a seven and six season to what Avery Johnson's done but you're seeing players buy in that didn't buy in before and it's just turned in in my mind just turned into a barrel of fun like I I look forward to watching basketball games which I, I admit towards the end of the Anthony Grant tenure I simply lost interest but yeah, that, that's not that's not it anymore. Now basketball is must see viewing in my household. So he's he's converted at least one person, I suppose. That's what you can go with.
2: <laughs> oh, he's he's converted more than that. As a matter of fact, in about uh, eight or nine minutes, we're going to be joined by a former Alabama football player who would literally leave the room in Huntsville at our meetings when uh, we got to talking basketball. Now uh, Avery Johnson has gotten the attention of one William Redfish Barger, and he actually watches the games. Uh, and then second hour, we'll be joined by uh, Roger Myers, primarily to talk baseball, but Roger is also a season ticket holder in basketball and football as well, and I see him all the time at Coleman Coliseum, so he'll be able to uh, discuss with us a little bit about basketball too. But getting back to the game last night, Alabama is now, I believe, 9-1 in games that they out rebound the opposition. They out-rebounded LSU 39-34, to uh, and you know that may not seem like a big deal, but when you're playing uh, the number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft and Ben Simmons, who did have 10 boards and 20 points, you you got and Riley Norris you can't. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the great games by Bosseham with 35 and Coleman with 21. Riley Norris scored two points, but he had a career high 16 rebounds. 16 rebounds is unheard of in an SEC game when you're playing against the 6'10 guy, and I believe Isaiah Victor, the other guy they got, is about 6'9". And uh, those two guys, got they got their share, but Alabama got their share too. And I, here's the thing. This is the difference in this year's team and last year's team. This year's team actually executes an offense.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> they run plays. And when Avery Johnson calls a timeout, or if the other team calls a timeout, or if it's the start of a half. Alabama has a set play they run, and they don't always score, but they always get a great shot. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's phenomenal. You can tell that Avery Johnson has coached this game at the highest level, and I'm talking, of course, about the NBA. Not only that, but he was a great NBA player, and the execution is is not always there. But the strategy is always there. They have a game plan for everybody they play. And did it help uh, a week or so ago when the, the kid Collins for AM missed those two free throws at the end of the game when he made 28 in a row? Sure, it did. Uh, did it help that Ben Simmons, Mr. NBA first round pick, missed nine free throws last night? And by the way, was seen shooting uh, two hours worth of free throws. 45 minutes after the game concluded last night, so he cares. But that being said, Alabama is not only in the conversation. Alabama is currently in the NCAA tournament, according to all who keep up with those things. So what has to happen, in the opinion of most people, for them to hold on to that position? Well, at the very least, they have to hold serve at home. And that means beating Mississippi State Saturday, already a sellout, it means a week from Saturday beating Auburn, already a sellout. And it means uh, two weeks from last night beating Arkansas. So
1: An Arkansas team that just fell to Auburn. Uh, so. They did.
2: And, you know, that scared me a little bit, Thomas, because Auburn was on fire last night behind the three-point arc. Do I think they'll continue that? No, probably not. And do I think... Alabama has a better defense on the perimeter than Arkansas? I do. But it still bothered me that Auburn did that, even, even to Arkansas. Which Arkansas, the way they're going, I don't even think they're going to make the NIT. So, and, and another team that has fallen on hard times to Alabama's advantage, even though they beat Alabama uh, a while back, is Vanderbilt. Alabama was picked 13th in the SEC in the preseason meetings over in Charlotte. The highest I saw any magazine have them was uh, tenth. I believe that was uh, Sporting News or Lindy's. One of them had them tenth. Well, they're currently tied for sixth in the SEC. And, and
1: if you want to, you want to play the what if game. Alabama makes free throws early. They're 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 in the thick of you know first place, which is kind of looking at this team. If you had told me three months ago that that even was a possibility without doing extraordinary mental gymnastics, my jaw would have hit the floor because, you know, the teams they're playing, LSU, no matter what you think of the coaching staff, which, what's his name, has, I think he is, he's playing his way out of a job. Ben Simmons is ultra talented. I mean, he was the first, from the moment he set foot in Baton Rouge, He was leaving to go to the NBA as the prohibitive first overall pick. Now, has he had some struggles since? Yeah, I think, you know, the storyline now is, is Ben Simmons overhyped? I've seen that talked about in several places. But even then, you know, okay, throw LSU out with Ben Simmons struggling. Kentucky pulls in one-and-dones like nobody's business. So, you know, you've got these two ultra-talented teams, and Alabama – Aside from being utterly dismantled by a good Kentucky team, they've hung with everybody. So you know, again, I, I completely agree with the Avery Johnson getting Coach of the Year thing, and you know, buckle up. I, I hate to use the cliche, but it's it's a fun ride. That's for damn sure. It
2: is fun, and uh, it, it's you know, it, it's home games have become an event again. Uh, people care. Avery Johnson has gone out around the campus and around the state and marketed his program everywhere from sorority houses to Crimson Caravan meetings to tip-off club meetings. Uh, He spoke to the Atlanta Relevant Club. Uh, He's doing all he can to get people back involved in his program Uh, from a fan perspective, from a former player perspective, uh, from a recruiting perspective, just today. Uh, Avery was not able to go to practice because he, uh, one of his friends from the NBA uh, had a wife that passed away, and he, he was at a funeral in Oklahoma. And so Avery had uh, Bob Simon and Antoine Petway run practice. And you would think that he would also have Scott Pospicle run practice. But Scott, uh, even with Avery out of town, Scott got on the road and drove to Jacksonville State University and watched uh, AHSAA tournament games involving Ninth grader Trendon Watford of Mountain Brook, 11th grader Jabal Johnson of Spain Park, and I believe he also uh, stayed to watch some guys from Sacred Heart uh, in the Aniston area that are uh, underclassmen guards that uh, could possibly be SEC prospects. So uh, he only had two full-time coaches running practice today, but he, he, he's got a system, and everybody has bought into it, and it's to the point that he can miss a day and the team can still accomplish what they need and and, and be ready to play Uh, a Mississippi State team that, uh, as you pointed out, uh, upset Vanderbilt on a last-second shot earlier this week. So they're a dangerous team. Now, that game was in Starkville. Uh, Mississippi State has not been a good road team. But at the same time, uh, everybody that watched the game that Alabama won on the road in Starkville had to take notice of the fact that Alabama had no answer for the 6'10 Gavin Ware center for Mississippi State. He scored at will that game. He had 28 points. So they've got to find a way to limit him. And, uh, you know, Alabama's got to show up and play Alabama's game. You you can't just walk out there. That's the thing about the SEC. You can't with with, (laughs) – you kind of have to play down uh, when Missouri's involved. But even they have shown they can pull off upsets. You have to get out there and play your game and play the best of your ability every game, or you will get upset. And Alabama has to win all three of those home games I mentioned. And it would be helpful. It's probably, let's be real here, it's probably asking too much for them to win in Lexington, Kentucky. But it would be nice to be competitive in that game, and it would be nice to go to Athens, Georgia, on the final Saturday of the regular season and steal one there. Georgia is a lot like Alabama. Uh, They've got the ability to beat you on any given night, but they're not a star-studded team. They've got a couple of really good players, a post player named Maiden,
1: and and a really
2: good guard. Uh, But Georgia is the last regular season game. The hope is that if Alabama holds serve at home and only loses between now and then, that they'll go into that Georgia game a little looser and, and, and kind of knowing where they stand. Because a lot of things, could follow Alabama's way between now and then, and and a win in Athens would, assuming they hold serve at home and win those three.
1: Well, as doing some screening, it appears that Kerry had a computer problem, so we had a little little burp in, uh, in our coverage. But uh, I was able to get our first guest, and I'm just going to go on and bring him on. And it is our friend, good friend of the show, William Redfish Barger. William, how you doing this evening? Doing good, Thomas. How about you, buddy? Man, I you know aside from the random tech explosion that just happened while I was screening and talking to you behind the scenes, I am glorious. You know, I was gonna say uh, as you as I was screening, we were talking about Alabama basketball, and Terry mentioned something. And I'm just putting you on the spot, so you can you can throw you can throw rotten vegetables at me later, but. Uh, <laughs> you have jumped back on the Alabama basketball train. You're not walking out of the room anymore. So I know that Carrie and I are pretty excited about what Avery Johnson has done with the Alabama basketball team. But, uh, you know, I'm just going to give you the floor. What's your impression of of the basketball team throughout, you know, what's now two-thirds of the season?
3: Well, you know, I think before we have to, you know, kind of talk about the current culture, you kind of have to understand the, the the past culture that I grew up in um, when I was a student at Alabama. And, and I freely admit, you know, Thomas, I, I don't really know anything about basketball. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm a, a, a big proponent of Alabama being, you know, good in, in their top two sports. I've never, you know, understood why the powers to be in Tuscaloosa, you know, couldn't figure out that, Alabama, especially with Nick Saban as the head football coach, couldn't be what Florida was when Urban Meyer and, and Billy Donovan were there. Um, you know, and maybe being a you know a Final Four uh, national champion is, is a little bit far fetched. You know, with with the emphasis in this state on football, but I still think that you know that they could be you know, an NCAA tournament team. But, you know, when I was in school at Alabama in the early 90s, you know, the the, the the biggest thing that used to kind of piss me off was our toughest football practice during the season was on Tuesdays. It was the longest practice. It was in full speed. You know, we got after it. And, you know, when I would leave, you know, at night, um, you know, especially after the time change in the fall, um, where it started getting dark earlier, you know, you'd, you'd come out of the, the parking lot and the, the, the players' parking lot where we parked for football, and you know, it took thirty minutes to get out of the, you know, the parking lot to get back on University Boulevard. Um, I mean, excuse me, Bryant Drive, because you know, Wimp Sanderson had Coleman Coliseum packed out, and you know, I, I lived in Bryant Hall, and, and you know, my two next door neighbors. Uh, for eighteen months, for Robert Ory and Latrell Sprewell, uh, you know, two pretty good pro basketball players. Uh, so uh, like, you know,
1: Robert Ory can only not grip a basketball if he puts on all his championship rings.
3: <laughs> exactly. And uh, so you know, I, I was down there when the program was kind of at its peak, and uh, you know, you know, not only you know, Latrell Sprewell and Robert Ory, they had a great point guard and. Uh, you know, James Hollywood Robinson, you know, they just had a lot of good players. And, you know, it's it's always been kind of frustrating to me, um, you know, especially when Mal Moore made the decision to kind of put lipstick on a pig down there and, and try and refurbish, you know, Coleman Coliseum. I mean, you know, as football players, we used to have to go over there in the wintertime and, and run the steps in Coleman Coliseum. And I mean, that thing looked like a National Guard armory, you know, twenty five years ago when I was in school. Um and you know I've sat back and watched, you know, the, the arms race in the SEC with facilities and, you know, certainly since Coach Saban's been at Alabama, they've they've kind of been the you know, the trend setter with football facilities, but I just thought that was a huge mistake. Um you know, for Mal to try and window dress Coleman Coliseum six or seven years ago when they did it, um, versus building a new arena. But I, I'm excited about it. I mean, you know, I never will forget, you know, a, a year ago, almost at this time when, you know, somebody told me that Avery Johnson was going to be the next head coach. I'm not a basketball guy. So I'd never heard of Avery Johnson. I had no clue that, um, you know, he was a successful NBA player and, you know, had been a successful NBA coach. And, uh, you know, I told, you know, Drew Armin this, um, you know, once he told me that it was going down and I, I Googled his name and, and got on his Wikipedia page and I called Drew and I told him this, I said, look, I have no clue if this guy is a great basketball X's and O's coach, but, you know, I'm sitting here looking at his Wikipedia page and he grew up in the housing projects of new Orleans. um, you know, went to junior college, um, you know, had to work pretty damn hard to, you know, make a a college roster, you know, played in the NBA for all those years. I said, you know, I don't know if the guy can coach a lick or not, but I can promise you this, he'll be able to recruit, um, you know, based on where he grew up at and, and all the relationships that he developed as an NBA coach. And, you know, I think that's what Alabama basketball fans, and I don't really include myself, you know, in that group, because I you know Thomas, I don't know enough about the sport to tell you who's good and who's bad um but but I've been very impressed with come in there, um you know, kind of unified the, the Alabama basketball fan base, and he's beaten a lot of teams this year that he shouldn't have beaten based on the talent level that he's got on hand, and um, I can't say enough positive things about him what what a you know, because I know this time last year, um, you know, all the Alabama fans were, you know, praying and hoping for Greg Marshall to come from Wichita. And, you know, that didn't work out. And, you know, it's kind of, almost kind of like the, the way I look at it. It's almost kind of like the way, you know, Rich Rodriguez told Mal Moore no, and then he had an opportunity to pursue Nick Saban. It's kind of worked out in the same way, and I think it's been a – you know, a huge blessing for the university. I mean, this guy gets it. You know, those players that he that he does have are playing hard for him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be real interested to see going forward because recruiting in any sport, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever, you know, it's all about the relationships and the network that you have set up and in place. And I just think the sky's the limit for him. Um, as far as a a college basketball coach is concerned. And, and, you know, another positive um, that I've heard in the last two weeks is that, you know, he's, you know, approached the the higher-ups at Alabama, and he has Nick Saban in his corner, you know, pushing for the same thing. And it sounds like in the next three years, you know, they're going to have a new basketball arena on top of it.
1: Well, I was going to mention the basketball arena because I'd heard that scuttlebutt as well. But – The thing that really jumps out at me, you know, you mentioned having to build this thing. Did you see the article, and this is just dollars and cents, you see the article that the SEC gave out almost $10 million more per school than the Big Ten? Yep. And so, obviously, Alabama can afford it. So it's certainly a good problem to have. And I admit, I was not on campus during the Robert Ory days. I was around... You know, my claim to fame is my friends and I got on ESPN2 with a sign because I was in the stands when Nick Saban was introduced to uh, Coleman Coliseum for that LSU game. But uh, I remember the excitement then and just how Anthony Grant sucked the air out of the program. And I, I admit my first love was basketball. Now, do I do I follow it religiously? Quite frankly, I don't have time. But... I'm really, really happy as an alumnus to see it's not Coleman Mausoleum anymore. You know Mm -hmm. that that, that's that that's what you know really, really. If there's one thing Avery Johnson's done, the excitement's there. Is he going to be able to win a national championship? You know, in the next couple of years, I I somehow doubt it. it. It's it's really, really hard to stay on top in basketball because it's just the nature of the sport with the one and done and the or the heavy senior laden teams and like this year I heard a stat on the radio 23 top 5 teams have lost this year but over the past 5 years only 24 they've only suffered 24 losses in the top 5 you know that that tells you that if you're a top 5 team you're fairly static or at least that's what it tells me So it's going to be a whole different can of worms, and can Avery Johnson do it? I don't know, based off early returns. I certainly hope so, and we know, like you said, he's going to be able to recruit thanks to the commitment of Terrence Ferguson and other guys. Uh, Well, Before Kerry dropped off, he told a story where because Avery Johnson was in Oklahoma attending the funeral of Monty Williams' wife, the Oklahoma City assistant coach, he actually had to pass off practice to a couple of other assistants, but he still had uh, Scott Pospickle out recruiting and he was recruiting much, much younger kids, you know, juniors, juniors, and a couple of freshmen. So he gets it. And, uh, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be fun to keep going and watch it's, you know, I have to say fish. It sucks for me because most Wednesday games are when I'm in class and, uh, I streamed a national championship game on my tablet in the middle of my class, and my professors almost shot me. I'm not <laughs> going to stream a college basketball game during one of their classes. But, Carrie, do, do you hear me? Do we, do we have you back?
2: Yeah. Windows right. decided my little 12 minute break was over.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I've got Fish on, Carrie, and uh, we were just talking about our, you know, continuing our basketball conversation, just getting Fish's thoughts about all all things Avery Johnson but uh, I'm going to pass it back to you because and I want to give a quick shout out before I do um one of our most you know common listeners guy that interacts with all of us on Twitter a lot play like a champion he is in the back chat he's been going through some personal stuff and you know he he, he he's a, he's kind of in the bama bird you know not 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 th- kind of that orbit if you have a little time throw a prayer for champ and his family but uh, I want to give him a quick shout out but I want. I'll pass the show back to you, Carrie, and uh, I will work on some fun stuff in the back chat for a bit.
2: Well, just the fact that you got fish to be able to talk about basketball uh, when he wouldn't even discuss it when I first met him shows what a miracle worker Avery Johnson is.
3: Hey, hey, Carrie, what's so ironic about it is when Thomas called me, you know, to to come in on the show. I was actually talking to my college roommate from Alabama, another former offensive lineman, John Clay, um, who grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and still lives here. Um, this will tell you just how uh, uh, bonkers I've gone over Avery Johnson. And, and, again, I know he changed his name, but the other big-time commitment that Coach Johnson's gotten, besides Ferguson for this class, key, what's his first name? Braxton. Braxton Key, he, he's over in Virginia now at, at Oak Hill High School, but he grew up in Nashville. And and both the John Clay's kids are at a private school uh, up in Nashville called uh, Christ Presbyterian. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a small world how this all works out because uh, the head football coach there now um, is a former Florida quarterback and punter. Um, that we both took fishing on his official visit to Alabama. Uh, Engel Martin, I'm sure you remember Engel from, you know, the recruiting days of football. But yeah. he actually came through the Christ Presbyterian program, and one of John's closest friends is the head basketball coach up there. His name is Drew Maddox. And uh, he, he's got he a lot –
2: I'm sorry? I believe Drew played at Bandy.
3: He did. But he has a lot of positive things to say about the key kit. And right when Thomas called me, you know, John was kind of filling me in all that. Apparently his name used to be something else and he changed it to Key. Yeah, right.
2: Uh, well.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh you know, I was I was getting kind of excited, you know, hearing about that because uh, you know, from everything that I've read and, and I you know, it's not like you know, me watching Huddle film of a of a high school football prospect. I just don't know enough about basketball to say who's good and who's not. But uh he was he was telling me that, that Drew Maddox thinks that this this uh Braxton Key is is big time as well.
2: Oh yeah, he's uh I've heard a lot of good things about him at the tip off meetings I've been to. Uh we have a little Alabama basketball tip off club about hundred and fifty guys that meet uh, every couple of weeks over at Brightstar and the various assistant coaches come up and talk to us as well as Avery. And so they've all raved about Braxton and what they feel he'll bring to the team next year. Uh, and, 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 you know, he's a guy that can play the three, the four. Uh, he can shoot, he can dunk. Uh, we haven't had a player like him in a while in Alabama and he'll be very exciting to watch as well as some of the other recruits coming in. But, uh, we we are thrilled that Avery Johnson has got you back into the Alabama basketball fold. I'm not <laughs> sure how long you've been gone. Did did you leave at the end of the Wimp era or the, during the Godfrey era, or when did you? Well, back you know,
3: from? I was I was telling Thomas before you jumped back on about, uh, you know, how I was kind of indoctrinated into Alabama basketball, and it was, you know, kind of off of being a pissed off football player, um, you know, because Wimp did such a good job of, of filling up coleman coliseum um you know our toughest practice day was was always on tuesdays it was a full you know full pads you know we got after it and when you got done with it you know you just wanted to you know you know run as fast as you could back to bryant hall and eat dinner and go to bed but it was a nightmare um you know back then with the way the football complex was constructed you remember that carry where the the players' parking lot was over there in the old days, right there in front of the tennis courts. You know, they had those four tennis courts outside of Bryant Hall. But, you know, it would take 30 minutes to navigate all the traffic. Um, You know, and I was telling Thomas, you know, my two next-door neighbors in Bryant Hall for 18 months were Robert Horry and and Latrell Spreewell. you know, two pretty good pro basketball players. (laughs) Yeah, they were. but uh, I, I'm excited about it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I tuned in and you know watched the uh, the Texas A&M game where their leading free throw shooter dang both of the free throws and you know lost the game for them. And um, you know, it's like I told Drew when he when he first mentioned you know that the coach Johnson was going to get the job. You know, me not being a basketball guy, I'd never heard of him. And, you know, Googled him and pulled up his Wikipedia page. And I told Drew, I said, listen, this is a no-brainer. You know, this guy grew up in the projects of New Orleans, um, you know, had had to go to junior college. He was, a you know, won a ring as a player. Um, I don't know if he knows X's and O's aspect of it or not, but he's going to be able to recruit. You know, recruiting is the same for any sport. You know, it's about relationships and you know, being able to go into a living room and and, and you know be a salesperson, and, and then when he hired, I think that Protoshaw guy that, that Thomas mentioned was he not the the AAU coach that he hired from Texas? Yeah, it's
2: uh yeah.
3: popsicle
2: yeah uh, yes
3: when I When when I when I saw that he hired him, that's really when the You know, the recruiting dinner bell went off with me. I was like, you know, he gets it. He he understands, you know, this guy's, you know, had his hands on these kids, you know, since they were in the eighth grade out there. And and certainly, you know, Texas is a, you know, a hotbed of, you know, football and basketball recruiting. But, you know, I can't say enough positive things, and I think it's great because I know that, you know, Nick had kind of started shying away of of taking the football recruits, you know, over to Coleman on their official visits because the basketball program had gotten so dismal, you know, under Anthony Grant. I just think it's great. And it's like I told Thomas, um, you know, I don't see any reason when you look at the the financial resources of what that, the athletic department is generating revenue-wise, um, you know, I don't expect or, or don't predict you know, him to win, you know, a couple of national championships in basketball. I mean if it happens it's great. But I don't see any reason why, you know, Alabama under Nick Saban and Avery Johnson can't come close to matching what Florida had with Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan. You're hundred
2: percent Dylan Accurate. And that is exactly the goal. That that's what they want. Uh, and there's no reason to think they can't do it. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, recruiting-wise, facilities wise, wise. Uh, I, I think they can get there sooner than later, and uh, once he get some more of his recruits out there on the floor, I think you will see that. Now, since you're talking about Nick Saban, he's going to be bringing a lot of juniors uh, to Coleman Coliseum, at least for part of the game, a week from Saturday, uh, when they host Auburn, the game is sold out, and he's going to be bringing a bunch of juniors to watch that game, particularly the halftime presentation of the Iron Bowl trophy. And uh, recruiting, as as we say on this show at least once a month, recruiting is like shaving. Uh, If you miss a day, you look like a bum. And he don't miss a day. Uh, So, you know, and there'll be a great atmosphere at that game that day, and those juniors that come in uh, should be able to have a a great time. That being said, uh, those juniors are going to be able to meet a couple of new members of the Alabama coaching staff, and we haven't gone really in-depth on them on this show yet. William, so I'll go ahead and let you tell our listeners what you know about uh, Derek Andley and also about Keith, Brent Keith.
3: Well, you know, I I think first of all, um, you know, both of them bring, you know, the same things to the team. They're both excellent recruiters. Um, They've both got – you know relationships, um, you know in their respected recruiting territories. I, you know I think the the one that excites me more than anything is the Brent Key hire. Um, you know people are, you know asking questions. You know is Mario Cristobal, you know excited about taking a demotion? He hasn't taken a demotion. Um, you know really up until Neil Callaway was hired by Mike Dubose. Um, You know, Alabama, the whole time I was there, you know, we had two offensive line coaches. Um, You know, it started under Ray Perkins in the mid-'80s. And, you know, it's very difficult for, you know, one position coach to provide quality, you know, um, teaching and, and correctness with five guys out there. And I understand, you know, William Vallejos is out there and Chris Samuels, you know, was out there you know, prior to getting the head coaching job in Virginia. But uh, that's that's the way it was done for, you know, 15 to 20 years. And I'm excited that, um, you know, that Nick's kind of gone back to that approach. You know, he almost hired Brent Key over Mario Cristobal when he hired him three years ago. Um, You know, the guy's got 10 years' worth of relationships in the state of Florida, uh, the southern part of Georgia, Um, you know, which is a hotbed of recruiting, Um, and I think, you know, getting somebody with Mario's mentality of of being, you know, a blue-collar guy, um, you know, bring your lunch pill every day, and we're going to work to get better, you know, putting him out there with the tight ends, you know, somebody like an O.J. Howard should be very excited about um, you know, having Mario, you know, working with him to be a better run blocker at the point of attack. Um, you know, I, I just, I just think that that that, that, that hire is, is a huge, huge bonus for for the Alabama football program. When you talk about Derek Ainsley, you know, that's the prototypical Nick Saban hire. You know, he loves to get a young guy like that. You know, Derek was a GA. Um, you know, was with the Alabama program for a couple years. You know, when Sal Censary got the D.C. job at Tennessee, he hired Derek as the D.B.'s coach. You know, he's since moved on and, you know, gone up to Kentucky and done some good stuff. But, you know, he's a guy he's from Troy, Alabama. Um, you know, has a lot of relationships in the in the southeastern part of the state of Alabama he's he's young, he's energetic, he's going to do a great job in recruiting. But but I think what, what jumps off the page to me is, you know, that's a young piece of clay for Nick Saban to mold back there in his own likeness on the back end of the defense. And, and by having him back there and putting Jeremy Pruitt with the linebackers, I think that's going to serve, you know, as kind of a buffer – as those two guys, you know, work to kind of integrate their different philosophies. They've got a lot of the same philosophies, but there's some there's some differences there from a schematic standpoint. And I think that's going to serve as a good buffer between those two, Terry.
2: Let's talk about uh, one thing those two guys both have in common, William, is while well, both of them uh, will go to grass, but neither of them played college ball at Alabama, but they both played high school
3: ball. Hey, say that one more time. You were breaking up.
2: Okay. Well, one thing that that Key and, and and Ainsley have in common is both of them played high school football in the state of Alabama.
3: Okay. Well, well and you I bring up you, you, you bring up a great point, Kerry, because you know I was talking to Thomas about this before. Um, You know, I've been following recruiting, football recruiting, um, in the state of Alabama for close to 25, 27, 28 years now, and I've never seen the state as loaded as they are for the 2017 class. I mean, it's just, you know, you you may not have those, you know, top-heavy you know, three or four guys that are five stars or, you know, whether they should be that or not, it's just deep, 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 especially at the linebacker, uh, you know, defensive line, wide receiver position. I mean, you know, if Alabama signs four wide receivers this year, I can promise you two of them are going to be Nico Collins and Henry Ruggs. Um, You know, you've got these emerging defensive linemen up in Huntsville and, and down in Mobile. Um, it's just, you know, I just, I've never seen the state pump out this many quality. I'd be willing to bet there's going to be 45 to 50 kids sign D1 scholarships this year out of the state of Alabama. Uh, you know, lucky for us, uh, Randy Ross isn't around anymore. He probably signed all 25 from the state of Alabama, but it's, it's really amazing to me. Um, You know, when you look at a a school like James Clemens up in Huntsville, you know, they've got a a four-star defensive end and a four-star linebacker, and both of them are probably going to end up at Alabama. Yep.
2: And let's talk a little bit about the recruiting territories that the assistants have. Uh, It looks like Derek Ansley will have a part of Alabama, I'm guessing it's going to be the Wiregrass area. It is. And he'll have... He'll have a part of Georgia. I'm not sure what part of Georgia he'll have, but I'm guessing that part that touches the Wiregrass area, the Thomasville area, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Illinois and Kentucky. Where will Key be recruiting, William?
3: You know, Kerry, He's gonna he's gonna you know tap into those relationships down there. You know, w- when they hired Mario three years ago, he really opened up the South Florida area. But you know, I, and I think that was one of the reasons that Nick hired him is, you know, when you lose Kirby Smart, you know, you, you, you kind of lost that guy that had all the relationships um, down there around the Valdosta area, you know, in the southern part of the state. You know, obviously Kirby, right. you know, was up there bouncing around to different high schools in the Atlanta metro area. But the, the, the biggest thing that, that I think has happened, the dynamic that's changed, is, is Jeremy Pruitt had Mobile to Jacksonville, Florida, on lockdown when he was, you know, covering that territory. And he's getting that back. Um, You know, you go back and you look at the, you know, that that Ryan Anderson, T.J. Yeldon, Alphonse Taylor class. Um, You know, he had, uh, you know, a guy that's probably going to end up being a first-round draft pick, um, you know, from Jacksonville, Florida, the, the defensive end that he flipped when he left and went to Florida State. Um, But, you know, that's just something that that he's got those relationships down there. And that's what this all is based on. Um, You know, I I thought it was kind of interesting to see, especially with the amount of talent that's up in, you know, Huntsville, you know, a guy that really I don't think has been counted on to recruit outside of the quarterback position. You know, Lane Kiffin's going to be up in Huntsville. Um, You know, him and Billy Napier kind of have – that Northern Alabama territory um, divided by 65 up there. You know, Napier's got the, the Western portion of it over there, you know, closer to Florence and Decatur and, uh, you know, Lane's got Huntsville Scots for us. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, the, but, but I think what, what you're seeing is a byproduct of, you know, the last two years, Alabama has kind of, struggled a little bit to get kids out of that Mobile-Jacksonville corridor. Um, you know, what What key brings to the table is 10 years of being down there in Central Florida, um, which a lot of people may not realize it or not, but that's the largest college campus in that state. They've, they've got like 60,000 students, I think. Um, so, that, you know, he's a local guy. He grew up here in Birmingham, went to Trustville High School, you know, played college ball over at Georgia Tech. And, you know, he spent the last 10 years, um, you know, at Central Florida. So, you know, he kind of has a, you know, pretty unique understanding of, of the Southeast and the way the recruiting goes. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the way Derek's career path has been, you know, in Knoxville and up in Kentucky, I'm sure he's got a lot of relationships up there. But I think the the both of those hires – Um, And I'm not taking away anything from either one of them. I mean, uh, Key turned down the UAB job before Bill Clark took it. Um, But but I think both of those hires were strategic recruiting hires.
2: Makes a lot of sense. And, again, let's just go over real quickly which assistant coach is responsible for what. We've already covered two of them, but... My understanding, and you correct me if I'm wrong, William, is that Burton Burns has southern Louisiana, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and the Houston area of Texas. Correct. Tell them who Bo Davis has.
3: You know, Bo's got western Alabama, um, Mississippi. I want to say they're still going to leave him out there in that, you know, Dallas, Austin, northern Texas corridor. You know, obviously, um, you know, he recruited – You know, Mississippi and Alabama, when he was at Alabama under Nick before, um, he did a great job of establishing relationships when he went out to be the defensive line coach at Texas. So, you know, it makes sense for him to have that, you know, northern Texas part as well. Um, You know, Mario's going to recruit the inner city portion of Birmingham and, uh, you know, down to, to, you know, south of Tampa. Uh, down there into, you know, the, the Miami area. And he's still got the, um, you know, the East Coast area that he's done so well with, with guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, up there on the Upper East Coast in New Jersey and Maryland. You know, Tosh LePoy's is going to be, you know, California. Um, he's kind of, I think, going to get that um, kind of no man's land up there in, in Northern Pennsylvania and Ohio Um. You know Billy Napier, he's got you know Northwest Alabama, um, that northern portion of Mississippi. Um, he even gets out into uh, you know Texas. And you know what I what I'm still kind of in the dark about is you know who's going to take over um, you know the, the territory that Bobby Williams had. Um, you know, he was out wandering around in, in Missouri and. Uh, Kansas, and some of those places, which Alabama doesn't really spend a lot of time. But, you know, you can kind of see the writing on the wall of of where Nick wants to make a footprint with his recruiting territory.
2: And then Jerry Pruitt will have Mobile and then parts of Florida and parts of Georgia?
3: Correct. He's going to have that Mobile, you know, the same territory that he had, you know, when he pulled Anderson and Yeldon out of Mobile. He's going to have Mobile, um, over to Jacksonville, Florida, um, you know, probably southern Georgia. Um, you know, and that's you know, especially in the next two recruiting cycles, there are a ton of good football players that are gonna come out of that area. Um, and I think that's where, you know, and of course, you know, being at Florida State um for a year and then at Georgia for two years, he's got relationships um that he's built up over in the state of Georgia as well. You know, they've always kind of chopped up um, you know, Atlanta. Um, you know, I know two years ago, you know, you had Lance Thompson, Kirby Smart, uh, you know, even Mario going over into uh certain sections of, of Atlanta because it's such a big area. And when you look at um I guess that was the 2013 class where, you know, Carl Lawson, Tyron Jones, Robert Kim all came out of the, the metro Atlanta area. This will kind of put it into perspective. I never will forget counting this up on National Signing Day. Just Gwinnett County which is kind of the the northern area of Metro Atlanta up around Stone Mountain, Lawrenceville, Loganville, um, up there where Grayson High School is, where Mickey Tons, the head coach. They had 16 kids sign SEC scholarships out of that one county in Metro Atlanta.
2: Sure, and it also includes Swanee and Buford, and there's all kinds of plots that's come out of there. Dylan Lee, Derek Brown, a ton of them. Uh, Lane Kiffin, finally, on the recruiting track. you mentioned Alabama, uh, the Huntsville Gadsden type area, but also California Arizona, Colorado, Nevada West Texas, including uh, uh, the baby Dallas area, Utah New Mexico, and Tennessee former head coach of Tennessee what part of Tennessee will Lane be operating in? You know,
0: uh, if,
3: like, if, <laughs> if, if, if memory serves me right, Kerry, I think he's got you know Metro Nashville, which uh, you know and, uh, they 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 produce a lot of good talent. Um, they do, well, William. But what do
2: those coaches think about him?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's 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 kind of a double edged sword, and uh, you know I don't really think, Carrie. You know, just the two of us talking that the Lane Kiffin was hired by Nick Saban to be a recruiter. Yeah. Um, I think his value as a play caller and a developer of quarterbacks has is, is obviously been, uh, you know, proven over and over again in the last two years with what he's done with Blake Sims and Jake Coker. Um, you know, but they'll have some other guys. You know, when, when you see somebody that kind of has a designated territory, you know, people kind of make the mistake of thinking, okay, you know, Mario Cristobal, you know, recruited Calvin Ridley, you know, a year and a half ago out of out of inner city Miami, but you know Mario might have been the lead recruiter and certainly did a great job of getting calvin Ridley, but Billy Napier and Lane Kiffin were just as much involved with that recruitment you know as Mario was you know you've got to you know the offensive line coach uh can only spend so much time with a skill player before he has to say, you know hey. You know, I know you and your parents, or in in Calvin's case, your foster parents, uh, but, you know, this is the quarterback, this is the offensive coordinator, this is your position coach, and those guys get involved a lot more than people realize.
2: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about wide receivers coming out of the South Florida area. Uh, Is it safe to say that Alabama's in pretty good shape with Jerry Judy?
3: As long as Jerry Judy is living with Calvin Ridley's foster parents and Mario Cristobal's at Alabama, yeah, you've got, you've got that right.
2: And Georgia doesn't hire anybody in the family?
3: Well, I, you know, look, I, you know, and I've I certainly heard those rumors, um, you know, about Kirby hiring Tim Becker, the foster dad. It hasn't come to fruition yet, but, I, you know, now I, I don't, you know, begrudge Kirby for trying to jump into that fray at all. But, you know, I just, even if he hired Tim Becker, I I don't think that could undo um, the last three years of work Mario's done, um, you know, with that family. Um, You know, Calvin actually came to Alabama. um, You know, wasn't expected to qualify uh, you know, I think Mario burned the midnight oil and, and really played a big role in, in that happening. Um, I, I just don't see that being undone with Kirby being a first-year head coach, um, you know, up in Athens. Um, you know, the, the family is very close with Amari Cooper. Um, they they saw, you know, the, the career path that Amari had in three years at Alabama. Um, you know, certainly they saw... You know, what Calvin did this year is, is the best true freshman wide receiver in college football. Um, you know, there's people on Alabama's coaching staff, I'm not going to name any names, that think that Jerry Judy might be more talented than Calvin Ridley and Amari Cooper. So that's going to be fun to watch, um, you know, as it plays out.
2: No doubt about that. Uh, and, of course, you know, <laughs> we are talking to William Redfish Barger, a recruiting analyst, uh And we're talking to them on the Asian Rim hotline. We'd like to thank our friends Paige and Roy Hotman, the owners of Asian Rim, for sponsoring our hotline here on BAMS Radio. And you can certainly call and get reservations at Asian Rim. at 205-490-1444. You can also go to their website, AsianRim.com, and check out the menu. And there's a, a lot for you to choose from there. I'll just tell you that right now. And we thank them for being our sponsors on the Asian Rim hotline. William, next question is uh, one that I'm getting tired of being asked myself, so I'm going to pass it off to you. But Gee, is, it finally, is it finally time for Alabama fans to stop asking about Demetrius Robertson?
3: Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think, you know, Carrie, we've already touched on, you know, what Alabama's going to probably reel in from a recruiting class next year. uh right. or, Excuse me, this year. Um, From a wide receiver standpoint, they've got two elite wide receivers in this state, in in Nico Collins and in Henry Ruggs, that they're going to get. You know, they're in great shape with Jerry Judy. Um, They're they're in great shape with some five-star prospects um, from from out of the area. Um, You know, and I think what you have to look at is, you know, what are the needs? You know, what are the needs in this class? you know, going forward. You know, they 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 need to load up the wide receiver. Um, they're obviously gonna load up at the offensive tackle spot. When you look at, you know, the two in state guys and Austin Troxel and uh and Randolph and they're gonna get a couple of guys. Uh, they've already got, you know, the Leatherwood kid committed. Um they're in great shape with some elite offensive tackles. Um, you know, the kid up in Memphis, um you know, but, but what, what what the other big need is, and and I think you know, you have to start watching this as it plays out, is they really need to load up at the defensive line position. And uh you know, the Sterling kid that's only six foot one over in Georgia that's already committed. I mean he reminds me so much of DJ Petway. He had twenty four sacks last year a ton of tackles for losses, um, you know, Dane and me for crying about his recruiting ranking. And, and they're like, you know, well, why are you so high on this kid? And I'm like, look, I understand he's a little bit short. But at the end of the day, what I judge somebody by is their production on the field. Um, you know, Carl Lawson is not a prototypical um, 4-3 defensive end because he's short. But, you know, I would make the argument that when him and Robert condici you know, came out their senior years, he should have been the number one player in the country because of his production in the same area over in Gwinnett County um, in Atlanta. And that, that Sterling guy just jumps off the page at me. You know, you've got LeBron Ray up in uh, Huntsville for this year. Um, you got Atlas Harry and Son down at Spanish Fort. You know, there's just a ton – of uh, you know, we're so used to as Alabama fans watching Nick go coast to coast to get recruits. I just don't know if this year is the year that you go coast to coast because there's so many good elite football players in the state of Alabama.
2: Yep, and one of them play that I was blown away with the one time I saw him. Was Ryan Johnson, defensive end, down at St. Paul's? I think that guy is a world of potential.
3: William, oh, absolutely, and I think you know, like you said, it's at a position of need. Um, you know, for for the University of Alabama for this year. Um, you know, you go up there to you know James Clemens and Huntsville. Um, you know, you've got uh, uh, an elite defensive end and Lebron Ray, and then you've got the elite linebacker, Monty Rice. Who I personally think is better than Markwell Benton, um, you know, who was an initial five-star guy when everybody started evaluating him, and uh, you know, I think the, the the experts, so to speak, are starting to come around and realize that he was a little bit overvalued. Um, you know, you, you've got Austin Troxel and, and the Randolph kid, um, you know, up there at Madison Academy and Bob Jones that are both elite offensive tackle prospects. Um, you know, you come back down here to Birmingham and you've got the linebacker um, over at, uh, God, I can't remember now if he's at Parker or wherever he is. Uh, I think it you might know, be he, Huffman. Wow, what's his name? Uh, is it Myron?
2: No, it's basketball. Uh, I no, don't think I know who you talking about, but I don't remember. Who, who yeah, about,
3: but, you know, uh, he, he's a good one. Um yeah. there there's so many kids, you know, just right here in the state of Alabama, um, that could come in and, and fill needs. Um, you know, look, people got so caught up last year in, you know, the Rashawn Gary Sweetstakes, Derek Brown, you know, the Simmons kid over over in Mississippi. And, and you know, at the end of the day, Bo Davis felt like that Quinn and Williams, from right here in Winona, you know, in, in Birmingham, was just as good as all of them. So, you know, just because what you read on the internet and and you know stuff that you get upset about, you know, people need to realize that the coaching staff doesn't sit there and read the the two four seven, the scout, the rivals, recruiting rankings. They've got their own way of ranking these kids.
2: Uh, we do have a question for you from our chat room, and it is uh, from our man, Play Like a Champ, and he wants to know about a current commitment who uh, seems to be looking around. And It's kind of a two-part question. What do you think about Najee Harris as a player and uh, our chances of holding on to him as a commitment?
3: As a player, um, I think that kid's basically got a gift right gift-wrapped box around his head as being a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, You know, he's Derek Henry, Bo Jackson, Herschel Walker. Um, You know, I pray that that Tosh Lapoy can hang on to him. But, you know, there is that pull, you know, that pull, I should say, um, you know, staying home and maybe going to a UCLA or a USC, but make no mistake about it, that kid is special um you know the first time somebody ever sent me a film, he was in the ninth grade, I looked at it, and he was six one two twenty five and as a ninth grader um much much better of a prospect um than say like a leonard Fournette. um you know this this guy is unbelievable, and i I think you know Tosh Lapoy's job might be on the line. Um, to a certain extent as far as keeping him in the fray and, uh, you know, delivering him to Tuscaloosa, um, what, 11 and a half months from now?
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of that topic about jobs, uh, is it safe to say that the uh, the hiring frenzy is over for the Alabama on-the-field staff, or could there be one more move before spring practice?
3: No, I mean, I think, you know, basically once you saw the the recruiting territories being published, you know, Billy Napier's staying, you know, obviously Mario's staying. They brought in Brent Key. Um, You know, they had a team meeting on Tuesday, um, you know, where all this stuff was kind of announced. So, you know, the staff that you see, at least on paper, Um, is what you're going to see going into spring practice. Now, it is not beyond the, you know, reasonable expectations that maybe somebody gets offered a a coordinator job or an NFL job, you know, post-spring practice. But I don't expect to see any more changes on staff.
2: Fair enough. And, uh, William, we want to thank you so much for your time here on the Asia Rim Hotline on BAMS Radio. Uh, You even contributed some basketball, which was above and beyond the call of duty. Appreciate that so much and for uh, filling in when Windows gave me the boot. And it's always good to have you. Have a good night, William, and roll tide.
3: All right, Kerry. Thank you, ma'am.
2: All right. William Redfish Barger, recruiting analyst extraordinaire and a great friend of this show. And another great friend of this show and and of mine is about to join us now because this second hour of, of BAM's radio, is going to be very much dominated by talk of Alabama baseball and the newly renovated Sewell Thomas Stadium. So I want to welcome back to Bam's Radio, Alabama baseball superfan Roger Myers. How are you doing tonight, brother?
0: Hey, Kerry, doing great. How about you guys?
2: Doing good. Doing good. Uh, We're kind of flying a man short tonight because Drew is working at the uh, regional up at Wallace of Hansville for the high school basketball tournament.
1: So he's not with us
2: tonight. It's just Thomas and me. And we're going to jump right into the fray here because uh, I finally got a chance last week to do the little self-guided tour of all three levels of the renovated Sewell Thomas Stadium. Suffice it to say, I'm not easily impressed, but I was very impressed by what I saw, and I know you've had that same tour, Roger, so tell us what you think about the new Joe.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've I've made that tour probably 10 times. Um, It is um, simply amazing. Um, We've had had guys come back from, you know, well, the alumni game, you know, there was 250 former players back, including some big leaguers, and they and minor league guys, and they've gone through and are just blown away. Um, David Robertson said the clubhouse and locker room are, are better than what they have at, um, for the White Sox. And they are just, um, you know, we're just so impressed with um, the detail that went into to all of it. But what everybody, what the fans can see, the field, and the, you know, and the stands, I mean, that, that's great, but until you get underneath and see all the things that most people aren't you know see on a regular basis you it, you just can't really understand the scope of of what was actually done i mean it was just and looking back at pictures i have of you know when they started tearing it down and then just the dirt and just, just where it's come from to where it is now it's just it's just it's a crown jewel of um, college baseball um, and it really doesn't opinion. have
2: anything in common, you're right about that, be it, it really doesn't have anything in common with the old one except for the location, everything else is so much new and improved.
0: <clears throat> right, that's correct, that is correct, it's, uh, you know, it might, <clears throat> I know that people always say renovations are harder than than new builds, so I mean it might have been, been a quicker, easier project to have picked a new spot, but. I think um I think it's really gonna it's gonna do well where it is. Um you know, a lot of people lobbied for somewhere down on the river or, or you know, maybe over by softball, but it just really wasn't a, a spot and that um I think they were more worried that it was gonna end up just being a redo you know, like putting lipstick on a pig kind of thing. but as you saw when you were down there last week it's it's not anything like that. You you wouldn't even – if you didn't know the address, you wouldn't even know you were in the same place. That's quite true.
2: And uh, Maryland is coming in, a, a, a pretty good ball club, to help them yes, open it are. up starting tomorrow night at 630. I'm 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 told that, that Maryland's Friday night starter is, is probably a, a major league draft prospect. What do we know about the Terrapins?
0: Yeah, Mike Shawlin. Uh, Shawlin. S h a w a r y n, a junior, um, likely top ten pick in the draft coming up. But he, all two time All American already. He's won won 13 games last year. Won 11 games as a freshman. Had um, had 176 strikeouts and uh, 130 innings. I think it was. I mean, he's just he is just. Um, I'm sorry, hundred and thirty eight strikeouts in in hundred and eleven innings and in a one point seven one ERA and only walked twenty nine. I mean the guy throws strikes, throws hard, he's he's just um everything you look for in a in a Friday night guy. I mean he um he's pre game big ten pitch, pitcher of the year. He's um uh, on team USA this past summer. I mean he's just um it's really it's like it's gonna be like seeing Aaron Nola from, New York, from LSU or or one of those guys, a, a top flight Friday night SEC starter.
2: David Price.
0: Yeah, that kind of that kind of deal. <clears throat> oh um, gracious! Well, it's not really what so you want to look for Right, the it's gonna be a lot different than uh, opening with Maryland Eastern Shore like uh, like they did last year, <laughs> and one you know, all by double digits. I think sixteen to one type games. Uh we're not gonna we're not gonna see that this weekend. Um to win the Big Ten. They made it in the super regional last year and were close to knocking off Virginia who of course ended up winning the championship. So they're uh, they're for real. They have um their coach is very good. Uh, coach Schiff um, he's he's been there four years and has they won school record forty two games last year, and um, you know just incrementally every year they've gotten better and better. In, in researching them, it looks like they their arms are their arms will be good. I mean, Shawlin, of course, is the, the is the stud. The next two starters are are um, sophomores who didn't put up fantastic numbers last year, but uh, in reading on them, they came on. Late in the year, and and won some postseason games for him, and that's um, Taylor Bloom and Brian Schaefer. So I feel pretty good about the matchups on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Friday, the Jeffrey Bramblet against um, Charwin, and then Jake Walters over, over against Taylor Bloom, and then then Schaefer for Maryland will face Nick Eicholtz on Sunday. And Eicholtz is an interesting guy. He came in. He's a junior now. He came in with you know, really high expectations as a freshman, and he's, he's struggled just a little bit. He's had some injury issues the first two years and, and some a little bit of control problem. But he seems like the light came on in the fall, and he looks like he's going to really, really be good. Um, he, Whenever he's out there scrimmage practices, there's – eight to 10 big league scouts there with their guns. I mean, he's a, you know, six, four righty that can throw 93, 94, has, has multiple pitches. So, and so he he's very projectable and has scouts like that, like that height and like that, like that fastball. So he, um, he'll be an interesting, he'll be a big, a big key to the season for, for the tide. If he stays on Sundays and can pitch the way he's capable Typically, you know, they be matched up against the weaker starter for the other team. So, that, you know, that would be <clears throat> that would bode well for the tide if that's the case. And then Walters last year as a freshman came on about mid-year and, and really was one of the better starters on the team down the stretch. And he ended up four and four last year. And then Bramlett, is a junior now as well, and he was eight and three as the Sunday starter last year, and he's taking that next step to be the Friday night guy. So we'll find out, um, you know, a lot with this matchup uh, this weekend. It doesn't appear that Maryland has a lot of offense. They only hit, um, I guess, 260 as a team last year. Had 50-something home runs, 54 home runs, I believe it was. And they lost uh, four of their top five hitters. They do have a freshman All-American back named Kevin Smith. He had 273, which, I mean, he played shortstop. I mean, that's not not fantastic. He had seven home runs and 35 RBIs. Scored a lot of runs. He scored 55 runs. And then a guy named Nick Sierra, who's a catcher and an infielder, <clears throat> who played part-time and hit 299 and had three home runs. Um, that was really the all their other... Big hitters um, either got drafted or graduated, so they lost six guys to the draft last year. So, you know, bonus it it pitching really should be their strong suit, and so they really possibly could control control Maryland's bats fairly well, particularly early in the season, like this before everybody gets um, gets warmed up. The um, well, they're, they're gonna the get Maryland's warmed up. I'm sorry.
2: Speaking of getting warmed up, uh, the Alabama Bats are going to have yeah. to warm up considerably from what they did last year. And, and yeah. I wanted to talk to you, Roger, about some of the position battles that that, that are going on. I, I, okay. I think we know who the catcher is. I think we know who the center fielder is. Uh, I think Pretty we much. know who the second baseman is. And uh, but there's a lot of positions, four or five positions that are that are still being contested. But
0: let's, let's, yeah. let's take
2: them one time. You, you, you did a good <coughs> job covering okay. start uh, the starting pitching.
0: All right, uh, let me go uh, back to, uh, to what. Closer, right? uh, yes, yeah. Let me go back to, you know, I just said I think Maryland hit two sixty four as a team last year and, and almost won the Super Regional. and Bama's hitting looked at it as a as a weak spot. I only hit 275 as a team last year, but as you know from watching, I mean, they struck out twice as many times as they walked, and that was that's the uh, the biggest issue, uh, situational hitting and and um, putting the ball in play. They struck out 475 times and walked right at 200, so that's not that's not a good uh, combination. Okay, back to the position battles. Um, you mentioned catcher. Uh, is that, you want to go position by position like that?
2: Yeah. Is Will Handy okay. solidly entrenched? Or, cause I've heard him talking about I've heard talk of him taking some reps at first base as well.
0: Right. Well, yeah. And, gosh, he is a fabulous glove at first. And I saw him taking balls at third the other day. I mean, the kid's got great hands. But uh, he will catch on Friday night. And I would look for Tanner DeVinney, the Juco, catcher out of Texas to catch on Saturday and then back to Haney on Sunday. Be my best bet. Uh but then he's gonna play, he's a switch hitter, um, hit three hundred with twelve home runs at Grayson in Texas last year, which is a is a high quality junior college program. And as a freshman he played at Kansas State in the um Big Twelve and was freshman all Big Twelve team. So kid has got some talent, and, he, you know, he he needs to play some. And, you know, to keep painting from wearing down I and mean, catching's bad enough and you're 6'5 and bending that much, it, you know, it gets to the knees and back a lot. So, And, you know, it's well documented that, that Will had some contact issues at the plate. I mean, he did lead the team in home runs last year, but by far led the team in strikeouts as well, so... Getting a little extra rest and having somebody push him a little bit, you know, I think it's going to be really good for him. His his defense is unquestionable, though. I mean, tremendous arm, calls a good game, does a good job behind the plate. But Davini's really good, too, and um, can help with matchups, being a switch hitter. I mean, he could DH. You know, Will could go to first, you know, some different things they could do. Um, First base two weeks ago I would have told you Chandler Taylor was gonna play first base and Cody Henry would be H. but now it appears that Henry will Cody Henry will start at first. And you know, he was a freshman last year, he and Georgie the two returning leading hitters at two seventy six. And very good eye at the plate, very good plate discipline. He's a switch hitter as well. And he um big big strong kid. He didn't hit any home runs, but of course playing in Hoover didn't didn't help. Um Helped that in, so I look for him to have some, have a little bit more pop this year, and uh, he'll play first and DH during the year, and i would expect him to play almost every day. Second base, uh, Kobe Vance, a kid out of North Carolina, it's a freshman that was um, 16th round pick of the Indians out of high school. A little firefly. he's five eight, two hundred five pounds, strong, quick quick hands, I mean, really, really takes a cut at the ball. I mean, it's one of the hardest swings you'll see. And, and he can really – he really got a lot of power for um, for a 5'8 guy, especially move over to shortstop. And then <clears throat> Chandler Avent will be the shortstop. And he played left field, third base, second base last year, moved around a little bit. He just wasn't going to play short as long as Mikey was there. But came in as a really highly touted shortstop uh, out of high school. And um he had a you know, played a most of most of the year as a freshman last year and then he came back came in hitting two sixty six and had leveraged twelve stone bases, so and he's he's got a little power too that you probably should see more of this year. And then um Daniel Coogin's back as a senior backup infielder. Um, you know, if something happens with those guys or need a rest, he can play second. Marshall or order actually third as well. And then Chance Vincent going to move over, back over to third from first base this year after, and, you know, he missed the last, what, nine or ten games last year when he and Casey Houston had that collision out uh, down the right field line out in Hoover. Um, And he's been a, you know, he'll be a four-year starter, solid defensively, good leader. Um, Needs to hit a little bit more than than he has so far. But, I mean, he's a hard-nosed player that Coach Gaspar really likes a lot. And then left field, that's kind of of a wild card. Um, Got a freshman named Gene Wood out of Mississippi that was a Parade All-American that hit well over 500 his junior senior years of high school, playing as a shortstop in second baseman, but never played the outfield. But um, With Vance and Avent in the infield, um, Coach gave him some reps out in the outfield. He's a good athlete, and he looks good out there. And he's battling Hunter Webb, who had played here as a freshman and then transferred out to junior college last year. And he's come back now as a junior. He was a part-time starter along with Houston is freshman year, uh, speedy, top-of-the-order kind of guy. And then really wild card, um, Keith Holcomb from the football team is working over and left. Well, he's working a little bit on all the outfield positions, but he's um, also working out there. So if just me, educated guess, I would say that, Gene Wood will start tomorrow. And that Holcomb may start on Saturday and and maybe even go to Webb on Sunday. I and mean, they may play may play all three of them. move over to center, of course Georgie's going Georgie Salem's gonna play there. Um best you know, probably the best defensive center in the country. Uh, a lot of speed. Um, you know, not worried about his defense out there. At all, uh, and I think he'll he hopefully will live up to his potential hitting wise. I mean, he's he's big, strong, fast kid that hit a lot of doubles. And then with this new park, not being an Hoover, I expect him to have more home runs this year. And then my um, my pick is a breakout star, pretty right be Chandler Taylor who um like say he'd start off playing first base but looks like he may be in right field now. Um raw, raw power. I mean like Kent Mathis level power. This kid is and a good hitter too uses the whole field. Left handed guy. Can hit it out of the park it right center or right center or left. Um, but also is, should hit for a high average as well. He um Big, strong, six-one, two hundred and ten 210 pounds, high school quarterback. I mean, just, you know, a good athlete that um, people are going to be really impressed with his power. I was sat there and watched him hit balls, not into the right field plaza, over the right field plaza. <laughs> I mean, he just just puts a charge into it. He, and he'll be a middle, middle of the order kind of guy, I would think, getting third. And let's see, and then DH, based on what I've seen, I'm thinking that Connor Short will DH on Friday. And there's a lot of options there, you know, moving moving Taylor into first, putting Henry at DH, putting Webb or Holcomb in right, but just kind of based on the way practices were and scrimmages were going the last couple of weeks. It looks like he may be trying to DH. He was battling Vincent for the third base job. And then he's had a little bit of shoulder issues with throwing. So, um, I think that put him out of the running for that for now, but he, um, he's been hitting real well, real well in the fall. And so I would think he would have the have the start there on opening day. And I like, said, so on Saturday they'll make, you know there'll probably be three or four changes on Saturday, and then Sunday would be most likely back back to the Friday lineup or close to it so but I think several guys will will get a chance to play um you know this first weekend and then pitching uh said Bramlett Walters and I Colts, and then you got uh Thomas Burrows and Castilla Ray Castilla at the back end Thomas course be the closer ray. Most likely will be the bridge guy, the eighth inning guy. Um got Matt Foster out of junior college, hard throwing righty. He'll be he'll be in there. He he was out for a while with the minor during during this this uh preseason so he's just now getting back. Um Jay coverage back for his fifth year, hard throwing righty, um Got a freshman named Dylan Duarte, left-hander out of Texas, that's really looked good, that they like a lot. And it's good to have a left-hander, as many left-handers as possible. You got um, freshman Kyle Cameron, with Hale County, uh, Tuscaloosa guy. And you got uh, Tyler Adams and Tyler McMurray, both sophomores that pitched very, very low as a freshman last year, but both hope that looked real good. And um then you get John Keller and Mike Oxypock back. After um Keller missed last year with Tommy John surgery and Oxypox missed the last two seasons with two Tommy John surgeries. But um they're they're good to go and Keller they are probably looking at it as a swim guy being he can be a long reliever, he can be a starter, he can be a you know, he could even close on, on occasion. So he'll he'll have a lot of roles, and then just I'm thinking that Park will most likely be uh, the mid m- midweek guy, Tuesday Wednesday starter. You okay, put him in that role, and he he probably uh, I think he could win nine to ten games pitching all midweek games. And He's that good. You know, he's just a good solid pitcher. Um, nothing overpowering. He just knows how to knows how to pitch. Um, let's see if I skipped anybody? Um,
2: there's only one guy you didn't name But I wanted to ask you about. Okay, Ron Blanchard.
0: Ron Blanchard. Yes, he. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of potential is would love to see him get a chance um i don't know how much he's going how much he's going to get to play but he is um you know he has a lot of tools that uh, coming back from that that bad knee knee injury from the season before last he it, it caused him to struggle some last year and then not get as many chances and then with um the way taylor's come in if he if he plays right field but. Of course he Blanchard could play right or left, but with the newcomers they have out there, um and, you know, he he should have some role but I, I just don't know how much. But I, I hope he does get some chances because he's a good talent and a great kid, so um and another one out there too is um freshman Sam Pennerty out of Pelham. He's an outfielder and a pitcher. And he may may see some time in the bullpen um along with Brock Love, who's another freshman. Those two were the those two along with Taylor were the top three high school prospects in Alabama last year. Love was first, Taylor was second, Finnerty was third. And you know, Bama must swept the uh, recruiting trail on those three. Um well, it's, and it's, they left well, Finerty away
2: from Carolina.
0: Do what now? They flipped Finerty oh, away. From, he, yeah. committed to South yeah, he had Carolina. committed. To, yeah. He had committed to South Carolina. Yeah, and then so another lefty out of the bullpen will be uh, Colton Freeman, He's kind of a th- he's a two-way guy too. He plays a little bit outfield, but I think there's um, enough outfielders where he's going to be, you know, in the in the pitching uh, in the bullpen majority of the time. Um, let's see yeah and then that's about it covers a majority of who at least for the first week or so should be getting the majority of the playing time and you know it it uh, it's fluid it can be fluid though it can change <laughs> definitely change by the end of the year um this time last year we weren't saying Riley Coburn would be a full time starter by the end of the year, <laughs> and he was so. You never
2: know yeah, exactly. we're talking to, uh, yeah, we we talked about that last week, uh when Paige Hockman of uh, the owner one of the owners of Asian Rim were on the Asian Rim Hotline right now. You can call them at 490 two oh five four nine oh fourteen forty four and you can go to their website asian dot com. Check out that menu. If you love sushi, if you love Thai food, if you love food period and you love good service, you'll love Asian Rim. We thank you for, uh Roger is joining us right now on the Asian Rim Hotline. But what I was saying is We had Paige Hodman, one of their co-owners, on with us last week who happens to be Georgie Salem's mom. And Paige made this point, Roger, and she made it very clear. Everybody on that team, including her son, if they want to keep trotting out there every game, every day, they've got to hit the ball this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is, um, you know, I I think a lot deeper team than than it has been the last few years. And there's, you know, going – Look down the bench and actually, you know, have some have some good um, options if um, if you need to make a change. Um, a lot more so than than um, the last two or three years for sure. Um, but yeah, there's. Um, I mean, I, some of them have more leeway than others. Uh, I mean, I think uh, it, it'll be hard to pull Georgia out, <laughs> out of the lineup defensively if nothing else, even if he wasn't hitting. But um, the uh, but I, I really feel like he's going to be, um, and but I mean like you say there are backups at every position that will be ready and willing to go. So yeah, they are going to have to they are going to have to hit to um, to continue to play. The um, one uh, issue, but one thing they're going to have to have to really work on is is after three years of knowing when there's a ground ball in the middle of the infield it's going to get double play with Mikey White and Kyle Overstreet you know it's going to take some take some getting used to um Avan and Vance we're going to have to get used to each other As Mikey and Kyle grew up playing together so they've been turning double plays together since they were 10 years old and both very very good so it's that part of the defense, you know, it's it can't help but not be as good. But with Haney and Georgie catching in the center, you know, that part of your up-the-middle defense is, is still outstanding, as good as any, anybody's in the country, in my opinion. So if they can get, you know, some steady play out of out of the two middle infielders, uh, that'll go a long way to, to helping them. Helping the pitchers know that you know if they get a ground ball they can get out of the inning, uh, which they always knew with Mikey and Kyle, that was the case. You know, just get them to hit on the ground, and we're going in the day out. But um, that's that'll be a big um, a big key to um, to the team's success, in my opinion.
2: Roger, how will the defense be at first base? if chance is gonna play full time at
0: third? Um, not as not as good as it was with chance. Um but Henry was not great over there last year, but he looks much improved. Um, and like I say I thought it was gonna be Taylor but um Cody showed him, you know, that he can he can make the plays I and mean, I've seen him scoop several balls and he, he, he's worked really, really hard at it and he's He's improved a great deal, so i I think um, I think it will be good, and then chance of be good at third, and, and um, you know, all those all the outfielders are going to be um, speedy guys that can cover ground. So I think it'll be a, the, I think they'll be fine in that aspect. It's just getting used to the two middle infielders. Um. It's going to be one of the biggest things. But i, I, I it wasn't I, that many can do a really ago, good job.
2: It wasn't that many years ago that I was watching Connor Short, quarterback, Hoover. And then I watched him as a freshman play third base for Auburn. Had to sit yeah. out to Alabama last year. And now that he's eligible, I'm wondering, Roger, are, are his arm problems going to linger throughout the season where he'll be mostly a DH? Or, or will Connor Not. actually get some third? <clears throat>
0: I think they um I think it was it was more precautionary than anything, but the last couple of scrimmages he actually played first base to limit his throwing, you know, just to um so he wouldn't have to try to throw the ball across the across the diamond. But I think it was you know, preliminary as much as any um to kind of rest it. You know, he had a little soreness and they just didn't want to um uh, to it to develop into anything else, so so he would still you know, still be able to, I think, at some point, be able to play in the field. Um, and, you know, he, like you said, he was a quarterback. And I believe he was also a shortstop. So, I mean, he, he's not, I think when he went to Auburn, that was the first time he had played third, from what from what I understand. So, he can play anywhere in the infield as well, second, third, or short. And, like I so said, he was working at first, for that matter. But um, So, that's another, you know, piece of an option that, that they're able to use um, in many different ways. It's great to have guys that can play multiple positions when, you know, when you have a limited roster. So, um, it's, it's valuable to have that kind of guy.
2: Roger, I have got some breaking news for you. Uh, okay. We, we can't get Rick Penley to come on this show, <laughs> but – Drew, who could not be with us tonight, has developed a texting relationship with Rick
0: to Uh the point
2: that Rick has sent Drew what Rick, and and look, between you and Rick, if either of y'all told me anything about Alabama baseball, I would take it as gospel, okay? Well, Rick has just in the last couple of minutes sent Drew what his sources have told him is the batting order tomorrow night. Are you ready for this? Okay. You were about 90% accurate on your call. Listen to this. Now, this is from the top to the bottom of the order from okay. Rick Penley, a, a Grand Slammer. I don't know he's still the president. He's definitely an officer of the Grand Slammers.
0: Vice and, President. And yeah.
2: he, Vice President of the Grand Slammers, Rick Penley, has sent this lineup to Drew Armand via text, and it's been forwarded to me. Now, now this is, you're not know going to get this anywhere but BAM's radio, people. Here is what we think is the batting order for Alabama's game tomorrow night against the Maryland Terrapins at the newly renovated Sulton Stadium at 6.30 p.m. Are you ready? Are you ready for this batting order? Oh, yeah. Okay. Leading off in left field, Gene Wood.
0: Okay. I said batting that.
2: second at shortstop, Chandler Aban. I said that. Batting third in right field, Chandler Taylor. I said that. Cleaning up at first base, Cody Henry. I have that. Batting fifth at second base, Colby Vance. I have that. Batting sixth and, and DH, and and neither of us nailed this one, but I'm happy for the kid, Ryan Blanchard. Good, good, good. Batting seventh in center field, Georgie Salem. Okay. Uh, batting eighth behind the plate, Will Haney.
0: And mm-hmm, batting
2: yeah. ninth at third base, Chance Vincent, and on the mound pitching is Bramlett. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if, if this is accurate and, and, if, and if Rick tells it to Drew, I, I'm taking it as accurate, that's that's yeah. a very interesting batting order. And the person I guess we would both be happiest for would be Ryan Blanchard. Exactly, yes.
0: Yeah, senior, fifth-year senior, yeah, yeah. he deserves a chance. So that's good. That's good.
2: Well, he will obviously get one against one of the better pitchers in the country yeah, tomorrow. And,
0: night. and he, uh, he had a um, Ryan had a really strong you know, fall fall and spring. He hit the ball really, really well. So I'm glad to hear that.
2: Yep, well that's that's uh that's what we think the batting war is gonna be, like I said, from Rick Finley. We can't get Rick to come on the radio, but by gosh, I feel Texas an open day line uh almost twenty four hours in advance. That's pretty strong. So thank you, Rick. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Crew, for uh Send that over to us. So there you have your uh, your pending potential starting lineup for tomorrow night's first game of the Alabama baseball season. Uh, Roger, I, I don't want to talk to you just about baseball because you're a, a multifaceted fan of Alabama. I see you; at, it seems every home game that I cover for BamaMag.com for basketball, oh, yeah. I see fans. let you and I talk for these last few minutes uh, about the turnaround and the great comeback after a tough start in conference play that Avery Johnson has facilitated starting with last night's upset at Baton Rouge.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's amazing what he's done with that with the group that he has with losing um, Dazon Ingram and pretty much it's um it's and some and some um Duct tape and some screws and <laughs> a glue. It pretty much is about about what you got right now. I mean, they're they're really really pieced it together. You know, just you can tell the difference in the in the coaching. Just in you know, I mean, they they always getting good shots. They don't always make them. That's you know that's led to some of their losses. But when they're making shots, they they're really good. And then then you get a guy like Riley Norris who couldn't make couldn't go in the ocean last night, but he goes out and gets 16 rebounds. So you know whatever it takes, whatever it takes to win. Um, that's what um, that's what they're doing right now. It's just incredible. When he gets a few more players in, it's going to be. Um, he's going to really really do well. He's he's so far beyond expectations already. Um, like I say, particularly losing losing uh, Ingram as early as they did in the year, um, and I mean they really should make the NCAA tournament now. I mean, I would expect them to win their other two games at home, which would give them 18 wins. Really, it's
2: three team. Roger. Don't forget
0: For, they home uh, oh, right. Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I guess I was already counting to win this weekend. Yeah, Arkansas, Auburn, and, and Mississippi State. So those three gives them nineteen, and if they can you know, win at Georgia or or Auburn, I mean, or Kentucky, I mean, um, that would make a and win a game in the tournament. I mean, with their strength of schedule and RPI, I can't see them getting left out. And the teams they they have beaten some really some you know, top quality teams. It's just amazing in one year <laughs> what everybody expected to be a real real rebuilding year, what they've been able to do.
2: I was hoping for the NIT and yeah, now I they're not even in the first four out. They're they're currently considered by everyone who makes predictions at in the tournament. And yes. if they win all three of their home games there's no reason to think they won't stay in the tournament, regardless of what happens at Rupp or at uh, over in Athens. That being right. said, Roger, if you can win in Baton Rouge and Gainesville, you can win yeah. in Athens.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's almost now. It's like you, you expect them to <laughs> after that. So they you know, you just need to take care of business at home for sure. Don't, don't let any of because the three teams coming in are are not good teams, you know, uh, resume-wise, for sure. State's playing better. Arkansas can be dangerous, and I don't know what happened to Auburn to win. How they won yesterday, but, but they did. So <laughs> um three! So, um, yeah, those three, you know, they they sh- can be overconfident, but they just need to go in and, and win them. Still, like you said, still one in Georgia, and then then uh, heck, they'll be in the middle of the play. pick to finish 13, they'll be fifth or sixth in the league.
2: Right, right. And in my opinion, and this will be my last question, but, and Kurt McNair shares his opinion with me, I think Avery Johnson should get SEC Coach of the Year, and I think Retton Abasahan should at least get a lot of votes for SEC Player of the Year.
0: Yeah, I would imagine Avery will be Coach of the Year, and Retton should at least make All-League. Um, I mean, they've they've crowned Simmons <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh is the A player of the year so I can imagine not being an SEC player of the year. But unless um uh, you know the little guard from Kentucky's only other uh, U U s U- uh Kentucky's point guard's really good too but Yeah, yeah totally. he's a real good
2: player.
0: But yeah Retton should definitely as far as most important, it's definitely Retton. You know, maybe not he may not have the um have the long-term potential of Ben Simmons, but he was the best player on the court last night.
2: Oh, he was, he was. But uh, Ben Simmons is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. but Ben right. Simmons also missed also missed nine free throws last night that really helped Alabama's cause.
0: Yeah, it sure did. I did see a picture of him practicing free throws after the game after everybody had left. So, so yeah, mostly, he
2: stayed there so he wants to get better. But yeah. I'm glad yeah. that he picked last night to have his bad night at the foul line.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, Roger, we All appreciate
2: right. it, and uh, I will look for okay. you tomorrow night at the new Joe. I cannot wait to try out that new press box. And oh, uh, I'll yeah. look for you nice. we, uh, Mississippi State and basketball is a real big weekend
0: for sports at
2: Capstone. Thank you so much right. for
0: joining us tonight.
2: and, uh, and Roll Tide. Right?
0: Okay. Okay. Thanks, Jim.
2: All right, that's Roger Myers, Alabama super fan in all sports, but we knew he'd be the guy to talk to to preview the Alabama baseball season. It was just a bonus that Drew was able to send us that batting order for tomorrow night over text. Sorry Drew couldn't be with us tonight. He is continuing to uh, work at the uh, basketball tournament for the Alabama High School Athletic Association. He's working at the regional up at Wallace, the Pantsville, and He's just not going to be able to be with us tonight. But he did send us that bat order for the baseball we'll opening up tomorrow night from you, New Joe, and that was awesome. Joining us next on the Asian Rim Hotline, and don't forget to stop by the Asian Rim at the Colonnade just off 280 in Birmingham. Go to their website, asianrim.com, and check out that awesome menu. And joining us now is a good friend of the show and a longtime friend of mine, the pride of Greenville, Alabama, Colin Big C. McGuire. What's going on, big man?
4: Not much. How are you doing tonight? It's great to be talking to y'all again. Uh, real interesting night last night with the basketball team. And, uh, and uh, next, you see Roger Myers tomorrow telling BC C, said hello. I know him. He's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, I tell
2: you what, when you have Roger Myers on your show, uh, you don't have to do a lot of talking yourself.
4: Oh, you don't? Right? <laughs>
2: I think I asked him one question, and he went for about 15 minutes.
4: Oh, wow. That's
2: pretty good. <laughs> not now, knows, nobody knows more about all-time baseball than Roger Myers. And uh, if you ever need a guest on your show to talk about it, he'd be the guy to get. Cause, uh, well, well yeah, I, might, I might be,
4: be talk talking to you to get his number, and then I'll give the boy a call.
2: That's fine. <laughs> but after what all he just told me, I can give you a uh pretty good
4: scoop on it tomorrow morning. If you want to talk about it, uh, about seven forty-five tomorrow morning. Okay, well, good. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, gosh, I'm impressed with the way how the the basketball team has played uh, lately. It's just uh, uh, impressive, to say the least.
2: Yeah, and you know, everybody at the beginning of the season was thinking. You know, it's it's Avery's first year. Uh, it's going to be a lot like Saban's first year in 07 with the limp. They went to a kind of a crappy bowl in Shreveport but got a win there and went 7-6. and six. All we want to do really is, is just have a winning record and, and maybe get in the NIT. That would be that'd be a great first year for Avery. Well, you know what? Avery didn't see it that way. And his players didn't see it that way. And Big C, as things stand right now, they're going to be in the NCAA Tournament.
4: Mm. That's the way how it stands
2: right now, I agree with. You. Well, I mean, all the people that do the picking for those tournaments, that the, the seedings for these Sunday tournament, you know, whether it's Jerry Palm or Joe Lenardi or whoever you want to look at, every one of them has Alabama in. And I think only one of them has Alabama in those playing games up in Dayton, where they make the field of sixty-eight, but have to win a game to get in the field of sixty-four everybody but one has them in the regular field of 64 because of uh, the fact that they've beaten uh, four or five top 25 teams and have got such a hard strength of schedule, have been on fire lately. Uh, They, you know, and, and listen, this is not the talented Alabama basketball team that used to be out there under Wimp Sanderson or, uh, CM Newton, or even some of Mark Goffrey's teams. This is a, a team with a bunch of guys on there that are just working together a- as one and, and have come together and have great chemistry. And they have a coach, Big C, that they're not afraid to shoot the ball, that they'll be taken out of the game now. And that makes yeah. a big difference for you. I, I mean, I'm still playing basketball at my old age at 57, and I can tell you. If you miss a couple shots and you're afraid the coach is going to yank you, it affects the way you play, and they don't have that with Avery. Avery is not that type of coach. But something else about him, Big C, is, and this is from his National Basketball Association pro background, he is so good at strategizing uh, before a game and during a game that you feel like the coaching just never stops. And that's why they've been able to steal some of these games in Gainesville and Baton Rouge and places like that, up at Clemson, that previous coaches or previous teams would have had no prayer at, but they're finding ways to win them.
4: Well, you got to let them be loose, and I will admit Grant was a good coach, but I think you're right. He was a little too uptight. Where well, they played tight, but that's what they said there.
2: They did, and, and you know, <laughs> he he didn't do a lot of out-coaching of anybody. I mean, maybe Barbie and Auburn, but he didn't he did outcoach a lot of people. Uh Avery Johnson has outcoached a lot of people this year.
3: Uh
2: I don't really follow what people say on other message boards, but people that do tell me that LSU's fan base is all over their coach, Johnny Jones. For the world mm-hmm. He basically got his pants coached down to his ankles last night. <laughs>
4: Oh, wow. that's pretty, I like that
2: expression. <laughs> and, you know, we had the first hour we had uh, William Barger on, or Redfish, and uh, he hadn't really followed Alabama basketball too close, really, since since him was there. And all of a sudden, yeah. Avery Johnson has come in, and he's converted William, and it sounds like he's converted you, and a lot of other people that have been mainly football fans are starting to say, you know what, basketball's fun again.
4: Yeah. Yep. It is fun again. And um, I like the coach I met him before a ball game, I was about to shake his hand in the elevator going up there and I mean he just he just looks like he's having a lot of fun and somebody he, somebody wanted a selfie made with him and he did it and I mean I think he's just real accessible to the fans, which is smart really to be honest with you. he knows how to market himself. I'll give him
2: that. Well, he, he markets the program. I mean, he's he's gone all over the state and spoken to whoever let him speak. It don't matter if it's the Rotary Club or the Atlanta Elephant Club or whoever let him speak. He does that, and he goes around to fraternity and sorority houses on the campus, you know, begging the students to come out. And the students have come out. And I'm not sure if you watched the end of that Texas A&M game last week when that boy missed him two free throws. But I can tell you that Alabama students played a big role in that. Wow. Well, no, I
4: didn't see that. Um, what day, When did they play A&M this week? When was it last, what, was it last Wednesday night or, when, or Thursday yeah. night last
2: week? It was a week ago tonight. I and missed. Uh, all A&M had to do was make two free throws with two seconds to go, and they would have won the ball game. And the Coliseum got so loud – mainly the students, but everybody chipped in. That the kid who had made twenty-eight free throws in a row missed them both, and Alabama won the ball game.
4: Wow!
1: I got a question
4: I want to ask you. Now, now I don't. I listen to a show on on XM Radio. A guy named Chris Childers. Are you familiar with him? Uh, I've
2: heard the name from Courtney. There, he listens to him too.
4: Um.
2: Uh.
4: And by the way, happy birthday! to current today's his birthday,
2: I wish,
4: on Facebook. Uh, 71, uh, Kurt, happy birthday. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's see what I'm trying to say. Uh, oh, wondering. he was just saying something about the Coliseum. You know, we've redone it. He still thinks it's,
2: uh, it's
4: not uh, that great a place. What's your opinion on that, him making that comment? Because he's talking about how they upgraded the baseball stadium. you know, Baseball facility and all that. you think they ought to upgrade it or build a new one, or what's your opinion on that?
2: Do you remember a guy that was the first black athlete at the university on the basketball team named Wendell Hudson? I certainly do. Last week I was at a booster club meeting over at the Bright Star. About 100 and something of us were there, and uh, his job was to introduce the speaker, who was uh, the associate head coach, Bob Simon, but the first thing Wendell said to the audience was, "Guys, we need a new arena." And he didn't say it just for his health. He said it because Avery Johnson believes we need a new arena, and mm-hmm. Avery Johnson wants a new arena built, not a renovation of what we have—a a brand new arena built, perhaps over there between Coleman and the law school, where there's a parking lot now. And he wants yeah. it to hold. He wants it to it'd be. Through in Auburn's, but it wouldn't be as big as what we have now. It would be between 10 and 12,000 capacity, 12 top. Yeah. The logic behind that is twofold. A, he wants a brand new facility to use for recruiting
1: and, and make it
2: louder and make the students closer to the floor. B, uh, he's tired, and I can't blame him for this, Big C. He's tired of selling 15,000 tickets. And 10,000 or 11,000 people showing up to a ball game.
4: Right. Mm -hmm.
2: And that's happened two or three times this year. Uh, The time that it was really full was Kentucky, and a lot of that was their fans. Right. It'll be really full for Auburn because everybody wants to see that trophy presentation for the Iron Bowl football at halftime. And it's sold out. It's sold out for this Saturday. It is. They've sold the 15,000 and something tickets for this Saturday. But what he don't want is for 11,000 to show up when there's probably 4,000 people that could have used those other tickets, but they couldn't make it because the weather was pretty or, or they had to do yard work. or uh, But they bought some tickets for their Tide Pride football points and they just didn't bother to come to the game. That's what he's trying to put it into.
4: Well... Let me ask you this. They do build a facility. What are they going to do
2: with the old one? Uh, what I've been told that one thing they're considering doing is uh, remodeling it and making it into a museum for other sports besides football. they got Paul Bryant Museum for football, but, but for basketball and gymnastics and softball and baseball. and uh, They've got where they're winning championships in golf and Things like that. They'd like to make a museum for the other sports at the university.
3: Yeah. Well, it's not a
2: bad idea there. And the other two
3: locations
2: that are being talked about behind the scenes, if they don't put it over there between Coleman and the
3: law school, would
2: be uh, they're already planning to tear down Tuttwiler, and they thought maybe put it there, but I'm told they want to put sorority houses there.
1: And the other
2: location they talked about is over on the old Bryce property that the university still owns. But most people think when it happens, and they think that it will happen in the next three or four years, that it will be over there between the current Coleman Coliseum and the law school. And uh, they'll lose a lot of parking, but they're talking about building a few parking decks to make up for that.
3: Oh,
2: that's
4: interesting.
2: Well, um, oh, um, what do you
4: the new uh, offensive line coach, uh, whatever, you know, somebody was criticizing Saban for hiring him, but, you know, my opinion is when somebody wins four national championships in a seven-year period, I don't understand why you need questions in
2: Yeah, that question is recruiting, too. They talked about Dino, what he was doing and all that, when he waited and signed day to get some of those guys. Let me tell you this. He, the guy that he hired, uh, Brent Key, uh, he played his high school ball uh, over here at Hugh Trustful played his college ball at Georgia Tech, and then he became an assistant coach at Central Florida in Orlando and developed relationships with high school coaches all around Florida. And when he hired Mario Cristobal, he interviewed Brent Key at that time and considered hiring him until he figured out he could get Mario. So he's always known about him. He's always liked him. And he decided to do some restructuring on the staff, move Bobby Williams off the field, let Mario do... Uh, Cristobal do tackles and tight ends and Brent Key do centers and guards. That's how a lot of teams do it already. Uh, one thing that oh, we yeah. said last hour was, it's hard for one man to coach five positions. So they just split it up a little bit and they've made Cristobal the recruiting coordinator and even though they hadn't officially announced it yet, if, if Napier ends up staying as wide receiver coach, I'm hearing that Napier will take over the special teams. So uh-huh. there's a lot of structuring going on, uh, but every time Nick Saban makes a change, he does it because he thinks he's improving his ball team, and you're right, Dixie, we are not really in a position to question the guy that's, that's won four out of seven national championships, and quite frankly, it was probably two or three plays from winning six out of seven.
4: What's that now? Say again.
2: i say he won four out of seven national championships, and he was probably just a handful of three or four plays from winning six out of seven. Oh,
4: yeah. Yep, you're
2: right on that. that, You tossed out that stupid kick six, and he wins it in 13. And you tossed out that decision to not run Henry and force the ball to O.J. Howard against Ohio State, and the ball was intercepted. And he probably wins it last year. Because it was very clear that the winner of the shirt ball was going to win it all last year. So, like I said, he's two or three plays from having six out of seven. He's got four out of seven, which is still a dynasty. And you're right, nobody should be questioning what he's doing.
4: No, there ain't no need to. But um No, all right, you said seven forty five tomorrow morning, is that correct? Hello, you still there?
2: I am. Uh, they can go to jogjob.com and listen to me and you talk uh, sports. I'm talking sports with Big C. I'll join you tomorrow about 745 down there on uh, the station in Greenville, Alabama, and uh, look forward to that. And uh, thank you for joining us tonight on BAMS Radio, Big C. Thank you, wild man. See you. I'll
4: talk to you
2: tomorrow. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Roll Tide. and uh tide think a good you. Good night. Yes, sir. Roll Tide. Uh Thank you for joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline. Y'all don't forget to go to AsianRim.com and check them out or drop by the restaurant over there in the Calday Shopping Center just off 280 in Birmingham. Uh, that was Colin Big C. McGuire joining us there on the Asian Rim Hotline. But uh, we're going to go ahead and call tonight. Uh, we've had a, a big a two hour show tonight. Thank you to William Redfish Barger and, and Roger Myers and, and Big C. McGuire for joining us. And thank you for. Uh, Old champ in the chat room for that good question about uh, Najee, that was good too. So sorry Drew couldn't be with us tonight, but he sent us a baseball bat in order, so that was good too. So for Thomas Watts, I'm a producer of Alabama magazine, I am Gary Clark, co host of Battle shop.com Wishing you a good night. Thanks for joining us on Family Radio Show and roll tide everybody.